Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, Pastor Roy makes his way through the rest of John chapter 10. Last week, we looked at the differences between false shepherds and true shepherds. This week, we will look at the portraits of the Good Shepherd. Open up your Bibles to John 10, where we will be starting in verse 22. Today we're continuing our series in John, and last week we talked about portraits of a shepherd. Today we're talking about portraits of the good shepherd, because we're picking back up in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22, and I just want to briefly reflect on what we talked about last week, and we're not going to have time to to do this, uh, except quickly, so if you weren't here last week, you need to get the DVD or go out and watch it online. We talked about the portrait of a false shepherd. At the beginning, it said the focus of a false shepherd is distorted. Why? Because they are self-centered and they're out for themselves. The leadership of a false shepherd is destructive. They don't care about the sheep. They abandon the sheep when the sheep need help. Thirdly, the relationship of a false shepherd is distant. Again, they abandon the sheep. They have no relationship with the sheep. They're only in it for what they can get for themselves. Fourthly, the function of a false shepherd is disloyal. They are not loyal to the sheep at all. We see the contrast of that in Jesus Christ, the portrait of the true shepherd. Focus of the shepherd is clear. He knows what his mission is. He knew what his mission was from the Father, to go to the cross, and he accomplished that mission. He never deviated from it, and he accomplished it for you and I. The leadership of the true shepherd is compassionate, very compassionate. He loves his sheep. He calls us by name. He knows us intimately. Thirdly, the relationship of the true shepherd is close. We talked about in Isaiah 40 where it talks about he gathers the lambs and he holds them close to his heart. That's our shepherd. What a wonderful analogy of a relationship with God. Fourthly, the function of the true shepherd is complete. No matter what we need, whether it's financial, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, relational, I mean the shepherd is there to meet our needs. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and he will. We're going to go on and pick up in verse 22 today and and through the end of the chapter, and what we're going to look at here is really kind of a contrast, even though we're talking about the good shepherd, there is in this passage a contrast between unbelieving Jews and true sheep. There is a major difference between a follower of Jesus and someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that here as we look at the shepherd as well. The first thing I want us to notice at the outset is the good shepherd responds appropriately to his critics. And we see this, if we look down in verse 22, it says, Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. The feast of dedication was also called the feast of lights, which was what the, it was a Jewish holiday that was celebrated Uh, during Hanukkah. Uh, You've probably heard that term Hanukkah, and that's when the Jews would celebrate this particular feast of dedication or feast of lights. I think it's interesting that it's during this time because if we think just for a moment about the dedication of Jesus Christ to go to the cross on our behalf, he was dedicated to his mission. It's interesting that John focuses on the fact that this is the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. He goes on to say it was winter, 
I have to tell you, when I read that, I even shuddered this week. <laughs> because it reminded me that summer is over in Huron. I am not ready for summer to be over. I almost want to protest against summer being over. Uh, I am not ready for winter. I know this will be our fourth or fifth winter here, but I'm still not ready for winter. And so you can pray for us about that. Pray that it'll actually be a little warmer maybe this winter. I think that's going to be my prayer request because it was really cold last year. And I remember that well. Um, But it was winter. Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They were like, how long are you going to play with us? I mean, when are you going to tell us? And it really means to lift up someone's soul or mind to keep them in a state of excitement to, by leaving a question of the highest interest unsettled. Jesus was into what I call TBB, theological bubble bursting. He loved breaking theological bubbles. Whenever someone had this idea that they were going to embrace this truth or this reality like the Jews had, he was into just taking a little pen and breaking their theological bubble and bursting it to say, wait a minute, you guys aren't thinking right. You're not understanding who I am, that I'm the Messiah. But I want us to notice how he responds to his critics. Notice what it says in verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, I think he's trying to tell them is the good shepherd is worthy of trust. I have told you who I am, but you haven't believed me. You haven't believed me. And I think it's important because Jesus came with a powerful message that could not simply be ignored. He came and presented a powerful case to say that he was the son of God and that he was coming to bring something to them, not take something from them. His purpose was to redeem life, not destroy it. Something else I want us to think about for a moment. Jesus never watered down his message for his audience. Why do I say that? Because I'm concerned about the pulpit today. I am concerned about pastors and church leaders and Bible teachers who will get up and will not unashamedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. As long as I'm in this church, God so help me, that cross will be there. It will be there. Because it is central to the message that we teach and preach. There are now people who are building churches and say, we don't want it to look anything like a church. Let's take down the cross. Let's move everything. Let's make it as palatable as we can for our audience. Is that what Jesus did? Well, let me just just water this down a little bit and make it palatable for my critics so, so the seekers will come to me. Now, was Jesus trying to get followers? Absolutely, he was trying to get followers. Is that the way to get followers? Not water down the message? It must be because that's what Jesus did. I think we're foolish in the church if we think we are going to attract the audience by watering down the message and making it palatable to the lost. We need to challenge the lost that they are lost and they need Jesus Christ. And the only hope that they have is the cross. And we should never be ashamed or apologize for sharing that message, ever. 
But when we bring that into personal relationships, relationships that we have or people in the marketplace, how often do I bring up the message of the cross to people who are outside the faith? Me personally, I ask myself that question and I ask it with some shame because I don't bring it up enough. And my guess is you don't either. We don't bring it up enough to, say, to sing the song, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. If we truly do, we're going to bring it up. Jesus knew they wouldn't agree with him. He brought it up with his critics. And I think we need to as well. You know, he wasn't willing to water the message You know, the IRS doesn't change their rules so that people will like them and they'll have more followers. In fact, they don't need followers. (laughs) They're going to keep their rules the way they are um, and we have to abide by them. The difference is the IRS isn't trying to attract followers. Jesus was. And so I I take great heart in that and, and encouragement that we need to have that kind of boldness in sharing And how we respond to our critics is important. Well, let me move on. The good shepherd, true sheep, exercise faith in Christ. How do we exercise faith? Two things here. Believing his works and believing his words. Notice what he says here. Jesus answered in verse 25, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles, the works, I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. His works gave a message, and so did the message that he gave verbally was also his words. You see, in Judaism, prophets were identified by their signs. His works were performed in his Father's name. That means he had his Father's approval of what he did. His miracles originated with the Father. If we look down in verse 32, notice it says, But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Which of these works are you going to deny? Like we talked about in chapter 9 when they, they wanted to deny the blind man was healed. They did not want to believe his works or his words. And yet that's what Jesus commands us to do. The words of Christ brought division. They did. Look down in verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided. John 7, 43 says, Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. In John 9, 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Have you noticed that in our culture? When you start talking about Jesus, there's a division that comes in the conversation with people. Immediately, people's demeanor changes. They want to change the subject. I've talked to people and they want to change the subject. It divides people. Secondly, the words of Christ even stir up anger. Some people will get angry at the message of the gospel. In John 6.52, it says, The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give up his flesh to eat? 
In fact, they hated him so bad here, down in verse 31, because again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. You think, think they were angry? But Jesus never watered down his message. Made it palatable. And that's what I see happening today, unfortunately. I have watched some preachers on television, and I've watched them purposely to see if they'll ever mention the word sin or cross or redemption or Jesus' death. And I have watched one individual numerous times, and I have yet to hear him mention it one time. One time. That's a concern, because that's the, that's the heart of what we believe. The words of Christ also separate the unbelievers from the true sheep. Who are your close friends? And is it centered around the words of Christ? That's what, that's what matters. If your friends never talk about Jesus and the words of Christ, there's a separation that happens. It's hard to get into conversation with unbelievers. They may profess Christ, but do they really know Christ? It's important. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.3, listen to this, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what I think is happening by and large in the church. People are gathering around them, speakers that they want to hear, itching ears, a message that is more palatable and embraceable to the big group, rather than preaching the truth. The International Standard Version talks about that verse, and it says, surround themselves with teachers who cater to their people's own desires. The Net Bible says this about this verse. They have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. See, we're kind of tired of the same old, same old. The cross, the gospel, Jesus. We're tired of that. Give us something new. That's where some people are. They want something new. I love the old, old story. Because <laughs> that's the only one that's going to save me. And you. It's the only one that is going to help us. Well, I've got to move on. The good shepherd relates affectionately to his sheep. Affectionately. If we could possibly grasp, and I said we, if we could possibly grasp the love of God for us and in the person of Christ that he sent to die for us, he affectionately relates to his sheep. Look down in verse 26. But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. Look at 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. True sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. They will never follow a stranger. If you go back in our same chapter in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there he's talking about Gentile believers. He's talking about Jewish believers and Gentile believers, both hearing the voice of Jesus and responding as true sheep. They will respond to the voice of the shepherd. They will recognize the shepherd's voice. It also implies that the shepherd has earned the right to be heard. And he has. 
earn the right to be heard. He tells us this in John 8, 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. If the Bible does not make sense to you when it, was, when it is taught and preached or read, it may be because you either don't have the Holy Spirit or you need a mentor and a discipler. Um, and it may mean you don't know the Lord. I don't know. Because the Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. And we need to be learning the Word of God. And sometimes we do need a mentor. I don't understand everything in the Bible. But we learn and we grow and we develop as we hear the voice of the shepherd. He goes on to say, everyone on this side of truth listens to me. Romans ten seventeen. consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Through the word of Christ. Plutarch says this about uh, the voice. That which brings light upon that which is thought of in the mind. And that's exactly what God does in the person of Christ and through the person of the Holy Spirit. He brings light into the mind. That's God at work uh, in us. God's voice was first made known through the prophets. He brought the message to the prophets. They proclaimed that message orally, and it was given through a voice. Secondly, in the New Testament, God's voice was made known through John the Baptist. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He even said, as Isaiah the prophet wrote, (laughs) and it was through his voice that he introduced God to us. God's voice may tell me something different than the voice of my friends. That's why it's imperative that we learn to discern the voice of the shepherd because he may tell us something different than our friends are telling us. If your friends are not following Jesus, they're going to tell you something different than the voice of the shepherd. You see, there was a problem way back in Genesis when Adam listened to his, the voice of his wife over the voice of God. She gave him fruit and said, here, try some of this. <laughs> he listened to the wrong voice. Now, men, I'm not implying don't listen to the voice of your wife. I'm not telling you that, because then you will be in trouble. But my point is, make sure we're listening to the right voice, because God's voice may tell us something different. God's voice may tell me something different than the voice of my family, because my family may be selfish. It may not want me to step out and do something God wants me to do. But let me give you one more principle that is absolutely crucial in this so that we don't get off track, okay? Different than the voice of my friends, different than the voice of my family, God's voice will always be true to the word of God. Don't you ever say, God, and I heard God tell me this, and then I go do something contrary to the word of God because that is not God's voice. It's somebody else's. I can guarantee you that. So it has to be line up with the word of God. Absolutely crucial. The privilege of hearing God's word preached. We have a privilege to hear the word of God preached. How would I ever know that I'm a sinner? 
How would I ever know how to get rid of my sinful condition? How would I ever know that there was a Savior who died for me if it wasn't for the message and preaching of the Word of God? We wouldn't. And so we are privileged to be able to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And we need to realize that, that we have a Savior who came, not for himself, but for us. He came for us. The good shepherd knows his sheep as well. He knows us in a completed sense. Look at John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. In verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It means he approves, he loves, he cares for, and there is personal fellowship with this good shepherd. And that, it should be a deep personal relationship. It's not rules, it's relationship. It is absolutely crucial that we understand that. I'm not sinning against a rule, I'm sinning against a person, God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And God speaks to us through our conscience. The true shepherd, go where the shepherd leads. Now here's the thing. Some sheep don't like to be led. I had a dog once that did not like to be led. And I didn't like that dog. And that dog didn't like me. Um... When Ryan was really young, we went and picked that dog up at the Humane Society. I have a a word of advice for the dads here. Moms, don't listen to this. Now I know you'll listen. (laughs) Um, Never take a small child to a Humane Society unless you plan to buy. Okay? Unless you plan to buy, don't take them to the Humane Society. Because we saw this four-legged creature that we loaded up in the car and brought home. His name was Whipping Post. Well, that's the name I, I gave him. That's the affectionate name. His other name was Peaches. But uh, his affectionate name to me became Whipping Post. So we got Whipping Post home, and Whipping Post had a problem. Whipping Post never wanted to go to the bathroom outside in the wintertime. It's not even cold in Virginia, people. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even cold, and she just would not go to the bathroom outside. And so she would inevitably, I'd have her outside, I'd wait, I'd wait, I'd wait, nothing. Come inside, the next morning there'd be pile, 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 everywhere. I'd get the newspaper, roll it up, hit the whipping post, and it never did any good. I was like, here's a dog that can't be trained. It cannot be led. And then I thought, am I like that with God? That he's trying to teach me something. He's trying to lead me. He's like, there's that whipping post again. (laughs) He's walking around, and I just need to get the newspaper, roll it up, and give him a swat to get him to listen to me. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's the way it is. Is it not true? It's like we're the little whipping post that God has to 
bring into line. You see, the leadership should never be forced or coerced. There doesn't have to be a guilt trip put on you. There doesn't have to be all this fancy smoke and lights. We don't have to have a fancy altar call to follow Jesus. It's just follow him every day. It concerns me when I see people make decisions and I see them not really seeking God on their decisions. And you ask them, have you prayed about that? Well, not really. But, you know, we're going to do this anyhow. I can't tell you where I see that headed. It just greatly concerns me when people tell me that. Well, have you prayed about it? No, I, I really haven't. So he says, my sheep listen to my voice and follow me. That's leadership. God has all the resources to lead you and I. You need decisions raising your children? I know I do. You're like, do I take this electronic away from them? Do I do this? Do I do that? Well, guess what? The shepherd wants to lead you in that, how to discipline your children and to put up boundaries. You know what a good shepherd does? He puts up boundaries for the sheep. And you know the voice that your children are going to listen to? They don't know how to listen to the voice of the shepherd yet. They're going to listen to your voice. You're the shepherd. God has put you in charge of your family to lead your family, and you are the voice of the shepherd, and you are going to teach your children how to listen to the voice of the shepherd by how you and I listen to the shepherd. And if we run roughshod over that, you know, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to do a little survey and say, tell me how you discern the voice of God in your life. What would you have to talk about? How would you explain that to a new believer? Well, you've been a Christian a long time. Tell me, how do you discern the voice of God in leading you in your life? It's an interesting question, isn't it? He wants to lead us. He knows us. He knows what we need, and he wants to lead us. But there's a willingness to be led that is important. Are you willing for God to lead you in your life? Which means, are you willing to take a no answer? Man, I've had some no answers that I got pretty upset about. I'll be honest with you. I was not happy with the answer God gave me. I'm like, wait a minute, are you kidding me? This is what I wanted. And this is when I wanted it. And you know what? It was the best thing God could have ever done to me. The best thing he ever could have done. Because you know what? I wouldn't be the pastor today that you need had God not told me no. That's the truth. I believe that. So a no answer is vital to our spiritual growth. But we want to throw a little spiritual fit. God, what are you doing? But you know what? A no answer is essential sometimes. So we're not spoiled And we learn to listen and trust him. I think of Abraham who headed off. It says in Genesis 12, and he said, he told Abraham, he says, you know what? Leave your country, leave your people, and go to a place that I'm going to tell you about. Now, do guys like that? I'm like, I want to know where I'm going. How long is it going to take? How many miles is it? What is the shortest route? Right? Right? What is the shortest route? 
And he's telling Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, and go to this place I'm going to tell you about as you go. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. And Abraham went, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, not knowing where he was going. (laughs) You talk about faith. Not knowing where he was going. Wow. That's what the shepherd wants to do. He loves us. I wonder what would God do at Bethesda Church if we started following God like that. God, you know what? We're going to take this step of faith over here. I don't know where the money is going to come from. I don't know where this is going to happen from. But you know what? I believe that you have given us as a church this direction. And by the way, we need to be praying about that direction. And as we think about vision and future and not be content with the status quo. We need to be willing to step out and say, God, I want to trust you for something only you can do through Bethesda Church and this this people to bring people to yourself. I really do. Example of Abraham. Look, would you be willing if God called you to the mission field to go? Not kicking and screaming. With excitement and enthusiasm. Would you even be willing to say, you know what, God, I'm even going to ask you. (laughs) Now there's a bold thing. Would you want me on the mission field? It's so easy to say, here am I, Lord, send him. (laughs) Here am I, Lord, send her. What does God want us to do? It's an interesting question. How about this one? Parents and grandparents, I should mind, would you be willing to let your children or grandchildren go to the mission field if God called them? And I said, would you be willing? You may not have the choice, but there are some parents and grandparents who are not willing. I don't mind if that grandchild goes from that family, but not mine. Really? So you have that much control and ownership of something that God gave you as a gift. Something to think about. Are we willing to say, God, here's my children. Here's my grandchildren. What do you want to do? You're the shepherd. You will lead them. I'm not just saying throw them to the wolves. But I'm saying lay them on the altar. Because there's a tendency for parents and grandparents to worship their children, and their grandchildren. And that's wrong. We follow the shepherd by, and I I can only do this quickly, imitating Christ. Do not tell me you're trying to follow Jesus Christ and you're breaking his commands or breaking his law, violating his word, and you're telling me you are a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, we better be striving not in perfection, but we better strive in progression of imitation of Jesus Christ. We're new creatures. And he changes us. And we follow him. We see the example of Christ down in verse 37 of our text. Notice what it says, Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. Jesus imitated his father. What does he want us to do? 
imitate him because it imitates the Father. We follow the shepherd by imitating Christ and glorifying Christ. Everything we do. Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. If we're following the shepherd, we're going to be imitating Christ and we're going to be bringing glory to Christ. Let me just give you this last one quickly. The good shepherd receives acceptably from his father. He receives the sheep acceptably from the father. The father gives gifts from heaven. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like sh- shifting shadows. The sheep... We receive the gift of eternal life from the good shepherd, but the sheep were given to Jesus by the Father. And I think that's important. The sheep were picked out before the world began. It tells us in Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us in Christ before the world began. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I don't understand it fully, but he chose us in Christ before the world began, and we were given as a gift to Jesus Christ. The good shepherd and his father provide security for the sheep. Both the good shepherd and the father are concerned about the sheep, because what does he say in 28? I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There is a security when you're in the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Father who is going to be strong enough to take you out of there. Salvation is a work of God. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but the actual act of salvation is an act of God. I can't undo what God does. I'm not that strong. Not are you. It comes down to your understanding of salvation. Let me just close with this. The Golden Gate Bridge was completed in 1937. At the time, it cost a mere $77 million, and it was built in two stages. During the first stage, work moved slowly, and 23 men fell to their deaths because of the treacherous conditions. Soon fear spread through the ranks and work stopped. Somehow, watching one's fellow employees plunge to their death in the vast and deep entrance into the San Francisco Bay rendered many of the builders powerless to continue. Yeah, it's a little discouraging. Then construction bosses began to think seriously about safety. A huge net was built below the bridge. It was the largest net ever built, and it only cost $100,000, which is minuscule in relationship to $77 million. Then the second phase of the bridge began. Ten more laborers fell from the bridge, but every one of them was saved by the net. The confidence returned to the workers. 
During the second phase of the work, the construction was actually completed 25% faster because now there was safety. This chapter makes it clear that God has provided safety, security, salvation, and protection to the sheep for those who follow and believe. Let me ask this question. Why would anyone work without a safety net for even another day? Let's stand for a word of prayer. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And while you do, would you just take a moment and reflect on the message? We have a good shepherd. He loves us more than we, he, we can comprehend, and he wants to help us more than we can possibly imagine. It is a very challenging job to be a parent today. Very challenging. Not impossible. Impossible for us, but not impossible for God. We are going against the grain of culture. We are going against the grain of popular thinking and philosophy. But my friend, you and I as parents have a responsibility to shepherd our children. And the only way I think we can do that is to listen to the voice of the shepherd and say, God, what do you want me to do? And to begin to tune in our ears to really hear, God, what do you want me to do? And to establish those boundaries. So let me ask you, what are you doing as a parent or grandparent to help your children or grandchildren hear the voice of the shepherd? When is it that you open the scripture with them? When is it that you pray with them so they know they have a good shepherd? And how do you make decisions? Whether it's with your money, relationships, big decisions, little decisions, how do you decide? The voice of the shepherd is the key. If you never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't even have a safety net. You're working without a safety net. And you need the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and for me. Would you put your faith and trust in him today? And would you let me know so that we can help you grow in your walk with Christ? I mean, we want to help you. You become part of the family of God. I'm glad you're here. May God help all of us to grow in trusting our good shepherd. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda. M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.